Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the sixth episode of One for One on this beautiful but very cold Valentine's Day Sunday. I'm Nolan Schumann, joined as always by my co-host, Miles Fuchs. Miles, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, Nolan. How are you doing today? I noticed you said very cold. How cold is it uh, in Newcastle? It, I, it's actually not It's actually not too, too bad. I don't even know really why I said too cold because um, I went out to go grab coffee earlier today and it was actually quite nice. Um, I think it's more of like, you know when it's like a really sunny day in winter and, and it just like, it pulls tricks on you where you think to yourself, man, it looks really nice out there and then you walk outside and it's blistering cold. So um, I'm, I'm really not too sure how cold it is. The reason I wanted to ask is because my favorite canadian dick swinging contest is saying how much colder it is where i am than where you are so today it feels like that's a cough feels like minus 32 with the wind um, which is warm because it's been minus 54 minus 53 minus 48 uh all week so talk to me about the cold uh i would love to hear about it i i do that like I do that stuff to people all the time here where I'm like, yeah, I'm from Saskatchewan. I remember one day uh, with the wind chill, it was minus 72 and uh, yeah, my mustache froze as soon as I went outside. <laughs> that, man, the worst part is, is we've gotten a nice little group of, of outdoor rink guys that uh, a lot of, a lot of pod listeners, a lot oh. of Pickapalooza supporters. Those, and are we all, Those are good people. Good people. And we like to go to the ODR, but it's been so cold the past two weeks that we haven't been able to go. So Every day I come home from work and I just, you know, uh, stick handle a ball in the basement just to, you know, make sure I'm ready to go when the guys want to get back out there so I don't get humiliated and <laughs> just counting down the days till we can get back back on the sheet. Oh, man, I I cannot wait. By the way, I forgot to mention to you, happy Valentine's Day because you're my, besides, well, besides Taylor, you're my, you're my, you're my sweet Valentine. Nolan, uh-huh. happy Valentine's Day back to you, pod partner. It's our it's our first Valentine's Day with a pod. We should get a we should we should both have a heart shaped pizza in our hands. Are are you gonna be sucking? Are you gonna be sucking beers for the long weekend? You know I am. (laughs) But I figured I should get to uh, what we're here to talk about today. Well, this is actually a pretty big episode because uh, not only. Is this the first episode where we really don't have a whole lot to get upset about because the Oilers were three and zero this week, which is j- j- just seems unprecedented. So it's the most positive episode we've had probably since episode one. Insert Nolan Shuffle. <laughs> uh, but uh, in addition to that, we also have our first guest, uh, Sean Patrick Ryan, otherwise known as the Oil Knight uh, uh, from the Oil Knight Network, as well as uh, a really good follow on Twitter. So he'll be joining us a little bit later on to uh, well, tonight, today, um, and we'll be speaking with him about, to, about a couple of Oilers prospects, about the development of Evan Bouchard. You know, obviously, after last episode that that's all we want to talk about is Evan Bouchard, well, as well as Connor McDavid, but... Evan Bouchard is uh, everything uh, and always that we want to talk about. So, um, yeah, a whole, whole lot of optimism coming out this pod, I think. 
we're, we're finally excited about a few players and uh, about the future of the upcoming games here. So we're very excited to have Sean and, and get to pick his brain and learn about what he he thinks from watching all the prospects and what he's seeing, what he's liking, and yeah, very excited to have him on. He's gonna be uh, he's gonna be stirring the Oilers Kool Aid for us, and by the end of the interview, <laughs> we're gonna be. <laughs> We're going to have to take, like, six pisses because of the amount of Oilers Kool-Aid we've just drank. <laughs> um, well, let's get, on, uh, let's get on to the games that have passed this week. So the Oilers only played three games this week. Um, they've been uh, on a few days off now, which is probably a pretty nice rest that they've needed at this point, and almost a little bit of a, of a, of a scare against Montreal, but we'll get into that a little bit after. But um, they started off on their Monday night, with a 3-1 win over the Ottawa Senators. Um, this game is, you can you can really just call it the Mike Smith game. I have entitled this episode Michael Smith, uh, after <laughs> after Miles ever so lovingly referred to him as, um, who, uh, who, I mean, he, he came in and he had, a, he had an incredible game. Um, overall, a pretty fairly defensively strong game for them. Uh, the game did open up with a literal bang, as I call it, um, which is the which y- y- you don't get this very often, but a number fighting number, and then followed by the same number fighting the same number, uh, which ended up being Jujar Kara versus Austin Watson, and then Zach Cassian versus Eric Branson, or as Don Cherry lovingly referred to him as Eric Bunsen, and I will I will refer to, <laughs> I will always refer to him as Good Bunsen. Uh- <laughs> And uh, is Austin Watson the guy who used to be on the Preds? Yeah, he's a little bit of a problematic player. Yeah, I was gonna say I won't I won't say anything <laughs> yeah, about that, but I was just curious if that was him or not. So shout out JJ for feeding him his lunch. I liked watching Cassian come off the bench like immediately after that fight, and he went up to Brady Kachuk, and you could just like watch his lips. You want to go? Are we gonna go? Are we gonna go? No, okay. And then uh, Good Bunsen was like you could read his lips he's like yeah okay whatever and then they went like it was the most anticlimactic thing ever those are two guys that enjoy chuck and knuckles and it was a a well-spirited bout to say the least that was that was the most tactical play I've ever seen from Zach Cassie in the season. Is <laughs> him fighting oh. Eric and Branson? Like, <laughs> poor guy has had a brutal offensive season, but boy, is he ever a good fighter? He's he's yeah, dodging them. Put your put your hands to use, buddy. However you can. <laughs> but uh, after the after the fights, it, I I was a little bit I was a little bit scared. That's a that's a point on the uh, on the uh, one for one bingo card is scared <laughs> in addition to fired up uh, to be scared after the first Ottawa goal where um, <laughs> knock again uh, Dadanov just blew past Adam Larson <laughs> and uh, Adam Larson ended up just tipping it into his own net which. Uh, tough look tough look uh, right uh, right off the hop and you have you have tipped but like it was a lot more like launched bar down into his own net like that there was, was more some, of a snipe yeah that was probably the nice goal he scored all year but uh poor, and, poor michael yeah and and that's and <laughs> welcome back i missed you <laughs> i'm I'm, ass, I'm assuming mike smith probably popped up his mask afterwards after adam larson just kind of looked up towards the sky and was like adam get your fucking head out of your ass i'm not putting up with this all game 
and um yeah that was that 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 was rough but um uh after after that the tide started to turn a bit uh dry settle ties it up and then going uh going into the um going into the end of the first period uh the Newly put together Tyler Ennis, jo- or uh, Tyler Ennis, Jujar Kara, and Josh Archibald line, they capitalized and uh, made it a two-one game. And Ennis with a ni- Ennis with a nice little toey, you know, in the slot, and he just he looked he's looking good, man. And that that line overall is looking really, really good. And we're gonna get to Jujar Kara because. Uh, We've got we got some things to say about about uh, Kara in a positive way. Remember, this is the positive episode. This is not the negative one. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're starting to see a lot. We're starting to see why Tyler Ennis was a really decent top six player in uh, both uh, Buffalo and Minnesota as well. Well, man, going back to last year when they picked up Ennis, I remember being so excited. Like, this is a great addition for the team. He's gonna you know finally be somebody that could move up and down the lineup like a Swiss Army knife player, kind of like Archibald. And then I just feel like he's been very underutilized this season, especially like up and down from the taxi squad. I think he was on waivers at one point. So I'm really happy to see that he's getting like a consistent group of of line mates to play with and get some chemistry with, because like you said, I think he can be a great addition to the team. So I am 100% on the bandwagon for Tyler Ennis getting a shot on the Oilers. Hometown kid, love to see it. Um, salad bar is always open. He's got a great head of hair, nice smile. He's another dentine daddy. So, what what could you possibly say bad about the guy? You love to you love to see good guys uh, succeed every now and again. And he's also a short king, so we got to give him that. He as is well. a short king. Oh, he just he just he just brings warmness to my heart. Um, <laughs> but uh, overall, defensively is a pretty fairly strong game for them. Uh, they outshot Ottawa thirty five to twenty eight, but. Going to kind of foreshadow a little bit, but they were 0 for 4 on the power play and uh, a bit concerning against Ottawa, but uh, nonetheless, a win's a win. So we'll leave it at that. What was your note about the goal song that the uh, Canadian Tire Edmonton oh, or the Canadian Tire Ottawa Senators use? Yeah. If it's, it, you are an absolute friggin' nerd, if you use "Song 2 by Blur as your goal song, that like you you cannot unless it like you could have it be like "Rock and Roll" by Gary Glitter, the uh, dun, 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 hey, but like "Song 2 is so fucking lame. Like, can can you have a little bit of originality? It's it, it's it, like it's it's almost tantamount to like being like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna also use Chelsea Dagger as our goal song. I <laughs> uh, do that song in you can't talk about after the plans i hear chelsea dagger in my nightmares i yeah i i've been I, i've been hearing so sorry this is the op this is the optimistic episode i can't talk about the plan <laughs> whoopsie daisy <laughs> but uh going into the next game which we're, we're probably going to have our most negativity in this game. But, uh, boy, thank God for Miko Koskinen in this one. Uh, with a 3-2 Edmonton win over the Ottawa Senators, uh, which was a nice little quick little back-to-back. Um, and uh, a, a, theme I, a theme I noticed in this game was the uh, Leon Dreisaitl-style backhand uh, to defensemen. And it ended up being from the first one was from uh, Jujar Gara, or Jujar Kara who sent it to Darnell Nurse for the one one tie goal, um, and both of those guys are getting off to really 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 good stretches here. So it's exciting to see where they're going to go. Um, 
but at the same time, we'll we'll see how it turns out in the long run. Um, Hogberg is no read it like you have it say it like you have it <laughs> hogberg is still so fucking bad <laughs> like he is he might he might be the worst goaltender in the nhl holy shit is that guy ever bad <laughs> and i don't mean to be i don't mean to sound like a dick because he's he's an nhl goaltender but oh my god he's bad um but the the oilers followed that up with our daddy our Lord and Savior, Evan Bouchard, scoring his first of the year off a nifty little wrister, um, which was just it, it was a it was just a perfect little setup. It was just a nice little wrister from the blue line. The third line screened Hogberg, and it's just it's nice. We mentioned this beforehand. You shoot it on the net, and it goes in. Who'd have thunk? What I've been really happy with the past five, six, seven games is the emergence of depth scoring from defense and the bottom six just because of the extra dimension that it gives the offense. And I guess the case in point I want to make there is like everybody's been talking about uh, first Oilers win since 2017 where Dreisaitl and McDavid didn't score. But like that's exactly what needs to happen for the Oilers to be a serious team and actually be you know, a contender in a few people's eyes is, is get wins without those guys scoring because they're going to have off nights, right? And if they're able to get defense and and depth scoring to chip in and actually win the game it makes the it makes the offense a lot more uh dynamic case in point after the first period or near the end of the first period there was like 10 15 seconds left um there was a quick shot off the end boards that mcdavid got at a weird angle and just put it on net put tried to put it off the side of hogberg into the net and it's just so like nice to actually see that where you're not relying on that goal to be a difference maker where if it goes in you're like awesome great that's another goal good for the boys but you know if those bottom six and those d points aren't coming in you're like damn it mcdavid like we needed that one to go in like how are we gonna win this game now so uh you just you just you just sigh and you just enjoy it and you're like is this what consistency feels like is this what it's like to not get hurt every time i watch a hockey game it's weird so it's weird seeing so many d-men score five on five goals like it's yeah I'm, it's 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 very 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 bizarre to me um darnell darnell nurse stepping up huge okay so i kind of mentioned this a little bit later on uh in the notes here but um I've been really impressed with how he's uh, with how he's been playing with his goal scoring. Now, I do think there is a bit of a, a a bit of a luck factor going in. I think he's on a bit of a on a bit of a PDO bender right now, um, which is an analytics term, which kind of just sort of goes along with like luck and shooting percentage and stuff like that. Because um, he's got five goals in his last six games. And it's just been, it seems it's been pretty much like the same shot. Now, three of those have come against Ottawa. Once again, though, as we said in the last episode, it's it's against an NHL team. So no matter what, like, you know, he scored those goals. But it's been it's been really good to see. And he's been just making better decisions with the puck. And I overall think that he's been... like he's been really good but it's been it's been so nice to see that he's now starting to score some goals and he's now starting to kind of jump up in the rush because we'd always seen that before where he would where he would jump up in the rush but we typically not see it turn into anything offensively and now it's actually starting to hit for him which has been really great to see 
Mm-hmm. Um, on a side note, I did actually want to just touch upon the the thing that you mentioned about the this is the first um, this is the first game the Oilers have won without McDavid or Drysaddle getting a point since 2017. Um, I don't see that as that big of a deal. And the reason, the reason why I don't is because it's like you have the two best players in the world. And if your two best players in the world are getting points every other night, then I'd be a little bit upset if they, if it, if either one of them were having nights where they weren't getting points, right? Like, I bet you, I bet you could look at the same, I bet you could look at the same statistic for a team like the Penguins with Crosby and Malkin, you know, back when they were in their like absolute primes, I bet you they went seasons where neither one of them, you know, didn't have a point. So I'm, I I don't look back on that too much um, with any sort of negativity, but yeah, it is cool though. Like it is cool. They at least did it. But like, just like you're saying, Nolan, how many games have there been where, you know, the Oilers have won where, maybe one of them has an assist or something like that right? totally yeah. they're, they're still hitting the score sheet so oh it doesn't count it's got to be a game where neither of them gets points like you know what i mean it's just such a weird stat but i don't know just it is what it is right yeah a little bit of a uh, it's a flub for sure yeah totally um but the I kind of mentioned beforehand where uh Jujar Kara had sent a nice little pass over to darnell um uh, Alex Chason, who I call him uh, uh, Chia's son, so Peter Shirelli's son, <laughs> he sent over a backhand pass, which was very similar to the Jujar one, but this time over to Tyson Berry. So it was like the same goal, but it was scored on the opposite wing. Very weird. Um, but Tyson Berry scored to make it 3 1. Um, and it's for the first time in a while, three D men were the three goal scorers in this team, which is. I, I I feel like this is like St. Louis of a few years ago where it's just, or like, or like prime Nashville, but, uh, it was really nice to see. And, uh, but ultimately after that third goal was where the Oilers started to, uh, start to trip over their own shoes a little bit. Um, because holy shit, late in the second Ottawa started to pour it on. Um, they took advantage of very lackadaisical play in the Oilers zone and Miko Koskinen had to make some really key saves, especially there was a, there was a massive scrum with about four minutes left where two sends were right in his crease and it looked like they were going to score, especially after those initial rebounds. And luckily they didn't score, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 genuinely thought the Oilers were going to blow this game, but they didn't. So I'm very happy to see that. Um, but on a, uh, on a side note, early into the third, uh, they allowed the Evgeny Dadnov goal off of a breakaway. Well, I haven't seen that one before, uh, <laughs> uh, cutting the lead to one goal, which, um, yeah, this was this was just a bad play for Slater Cuckoo, and and we we are as we've mentioned, we are Slater Cuckoo fans on this podcast. So, you know, we expect better for him, but uh, yeah, he was just he was just straight he was just beaten on his read there. So, um, not not great to see, but uh, luckily the Oilers were able to pull it off. They snuck out with a win, and it was the exact game you needed from a guy like Miko Koskinen, where you know. Confidence might have been a little bit low after the Battle of Alberta, but luckily he was he was able to pull it off, and I think this really this really brings up the confidence in the team. Well, what didn't he? What did he have? Forty two shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty two so, shots against twenty two. I think that's a big game. That's yeah. A, that's a product of rest. It's exactly like we were saying last episode. I, I was re-listening, and I said, I hope, I hope, I hope that Mike Smith can you know be the compliment that we think he can be. Super small sample size, absolutely. I know, 
you know, we're three games in, but it's looking like the tandem is doing exactly what the tandem was supposed to do. I actually want to Google Mike Smith's stats just so we can overreact to them. <laughs> It's like a it's like a nine forty one save percentage. It's insane. It's something so oh stupid. God. But I don't care what I don't care what his stats are. He needs to cut his kid's hair. <laughs> what else? He has two he has two wins, zero losses, with a point five zero goals against average and a nine eighty five save percentage. Nine eighty five. Oh my god. <laughs> He's a video game. <laughs> How many, I need to see how many shots he's faced so far. Uh, hold on. Uh, shots against. He's faced 66 shots in two games. Oh, my God. The boys are hanging him out to oh dry. Classic Oilers. Oh my Talk God. about easing but, him in. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, here, here you go, Michael. <laughs> but, no, like what you were saying about the St. Louis Blues and um, – Nashville Predators of old where the defense are scoring all their goals as of February 10th the Oilers are second for points from defensemen haven't been that high since 2008-2009 when Sheldon Sore, Dennis Grebeshkov, Tom Gilbert and Lubnir Vishnovsky were leading the, leading the charge from the back end so those are some absolute relics of names and it's crazy to think that this Oilers decorp is is rivaling that. Dude, Tom Gilbert number 77. You might you might say he he might be the best 77 in Oilers history. <laughs> Poor Clefbaum. Dude but that's that's the other thing though. That's the other side of the coin. Imagine what they'd be doing if they had Clef there. Oh. I mean, it's tough to say because there's so many factors that can kind of be brought up as like, you know, would a guy like Evan Bouchard really be playing right now? Or uh, because I mean, like the like like the tie would go to the veteran no matter what, most likely. Oh, right? for sure. I mean, they'd probably take out William Loggison, but I mean, if you were to have like. If you were to have like Nurse Bear, Clefbaum, uh, Barry, and then like Larson and Bouchard together, that'd be pretty stupid. It's a pretty nasty. Lo- yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, wishful thinking. We'll we'll chalk that yeah. one up as wishful thinking. But we have Nolan a big game to talk about here. A big a big test. Yeah, the three nothing win over the Montreal Canadiens, which they uh, they they pulled off uh, the. They pulled off a couple days later. Um, I didn't write this in my notes, but I will. Pro- I will probably touch upon it just because we probably should get it out of the way. But uh, this game did start off with a bit of a scare. Um, it was reported that scorecard, bingo card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. It, it was recorded uh, about five hours before the game that Yesipuli uh, Arvi was on the COVID protocol list. Um, initially, people were concerned because he wasn't on the ice uh, for morning skate, so a lot of people might, might have thought he, that he might have been injured or what was going on, but then it came out that he was on the COVID protocol list. In addition to that, uh, Miko Koskinen was also, in, uh, was also in quarantine. He wasn't actually placed on the list himself, um, but they had to sort of keep him they had to keep him behind out of an abundance of caution for the player there's been an issue with in all major sports the that play games on regular and basis nights uh these rapid tests that they do are prone to false positives like the mlb dealt with tons of them last season um all oh, the florida marlins were exactly insane. so i think that that i was doing a little bit of research and that's what i was seeing was that um yes got a rapid test positive and then they went into panic mode and like full protocol, which just from what 
people are saying it's pretty rare that that happens to a team on the road just because of how isolated you are yeah and like how how your meals are prepped and how you travel and all the necessary precautions that are taken that way so more likely than not you get positives at home um but yeah it was like yes they got the positive they did the whole team Miko's came back positive and then I think they immediately had two negatives but just because of the time span they sat both of them out for the game which yeah best move possible right make sure that you're positive that (laughs) that these guys aren't getting it so that nobody else is going to get sick but uh at the end of the day if we've got to lose Yese and Miko for one game and they still pull out a three nothing win chef's kiss delicious yeah yeah you love to see it um and so that meant that mike smith had to had to come back and i mean obviously dave Tippett was pretty happy about that because he's probably like oh i'm uh, really happy to get uh schmitty back in the net and um we're gonna we're gonna play really hard tonight we got uh wellsy backing him up so uh hopefully he won't have to go in tonight and um could you imagine pull off a win? you're Dylan Wall, you're Dylan Wells and you get, you know, Smith pulls his groin or something in the warm up, and it's like, all right, get out there, kid. Like, do you, do you shit your pants now or when? Right. Like you, you made the Skinner joke against the Leafs having to take his Jersey off and wave it like a white flag. Like there's no way if Wells has to step in, he's doing anything, which leads to a bigger question about who our taxi squad goaltending options are. But, you know, let's not talk about that. We don't need to get into that right now. We don't need to go down that road. I'd be I'd be shitting in my pads because not only would I be like, oh, I might have to play Montreal, but I'd also look at the back of my jersey and see number 30 and be reminded that I'm sharing the number of former Edmonton great Ben Scrivens. Oh, Scrivy. I uh... Oh, poor one out. 60 saves against the Sharks, yeah, baby. Man, he's history. That's history right there. <laughs> I still remember watching that game and be like, holy shit, the Oilers are so bad. How are they allowing this to happen to this man? That, uh, that Mike Smith had a big save on Nick Suzuki in the first couple of minutes of the game. Um, that breakaway stop is like an abs- uh, You don't want to say like a game saver, but if they get scored on that quickly on a breakaway... I think they quit. I think they roll over and die. So that's one of those goals or one of those saves that, you know, keeps momentum and lets your team get a collective sigh of relief and come back and do something. So you can't, like, that's a massive save. That's a huge save anyway you slice it. Yeah. Well, and and not only that, but the confidence overall is going up because, like, th- that that uh that breakaway save was followed up by Jujar scoring that one nothing goal and once again like you had mentioned going back to like production from the bottom six if if you get production from the bottom six even if it's one goal just to put you up one nothing that builds confidence in your entire team and ultimately will set you up for success and much to our chagrin because we've kind of been talking about this on the side but Jujar is He's proving himself, man, and it's... You be fucking careful. <laughs> now, Dude, I've... he's hurt us so many times. I've... You be yes. careful when you say proving himself. Jujar has, 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 has bit us many times. He is, he's, he's left us on red multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he's, he's playing well. Um, he's playing physical. He's... He's getting up in the play. He's 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 making smart passes, and he's putting it on net, and he's getting in people's faces. And 
like I mentioned previously, that whole third line is playing really fucking well right now. And it's insane to think that, because, I mean, if you think about this before the season, that where we're at right now, that Jujar Kara has cemented himself currently, currently, so I shouldn't say cemented, he's placed himself there until somebody takes it as the team's third line center and um, Kyle Turris is having a tough enough time making it as the fourth line center. So Yeah, it's, it's amazing what happens when you give Kyle Turris a fucking knuckle sandwich down to the fourth line, hey? It's amazing what guys will do when there's an opportunity. Yeah, well, yeah, who, who'd have thunk, hey? Um, but uh, like I mentioned like I mentioned before, though, with Darnell Nurse, he followed up um, by putting the team up 2 nothing, and good God, man, it, like— He's he's continuing this streak, and um, I think if if he has a season where he puts up, you know, if he puts up thirty points this season, which is not totally out of the, or, I mean, is not totally out of the stretch of imagination. But if he puts up thirty points this season, I could easily see him getting an invite to the twenty twenty two camp for uh, Canada at the Olympics. So, and that was something that's been that's been talked about by guys like slow uh, your fucking roll. I'm, hey, man. I'm just telling you, man. Like Pierre LeBron was talking about it, and if there's one thing that fucking hockey Canada likes is like they like grit and leadership, and so they might like a guy like Darnell Nurse. I, I oh, can totally sorry. see it. I, no, I need to take I need to take that back. I thought you were still talking about Jujar. I che- I was checking Snapchat. Oh my! Oh my god! Yeah, I was like I was like, dude, you're fucking high. <laughs> No, Could you yeah, imagine Jujar Kara just goes on a on a heater and then gets invited to Team Canada camp? Dude, that's why that's why the importance of being locked in when you're recording, eh? Because I totally missed that. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree with you. There's been lots of talk about Darnell uh, being on a projected 2020 Olympic roster. So yeah, okay, sorry, I don't think you're crazy. I need to uh, I need to uh, eat my hat on that one. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, a guy who definitely won't get an invite to the 2022 camp, Tyson Berry, is continuing his. <laughs> I, Tyson Berry will never come on this pod. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> he's uh, he's continuing. His... I I shut us out with Yamamoto. You can shut us out with Berry. It's fine. We each get one for one. <laughs> I do really like Tyson Berry though, so I will I will give him credit. He does seem like a really good dude. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I like Tyson Berry. But he's continuing his hot point getting streaks. He's got ten points in his last eight games. He is on fire. So it's uh, it's nice to see that he's playing well. Um, but beside the sh- or despite the shot count, Edmonton did outplay Montreal, and Mike Smith gave them the you know gave them the saves they needed when uh, when they were needed. So um, I wanted to talk about something that is concerning to me. Can I finish? I have two more notes on the Habs game. Oh, absolutely! Yes, um, go ahead. There was a penalty kill at the end of the third that was like a nice epitome of what you know the the entire like game from the Oilers was um just you know a hard fought one a hard fought win where it didn't seem like they were gonna give up they were gonna they were determined to win and penalty kill I think there was like four minutes left in the game um puck kind of squirts out Yamamoto dives for it and bats the puck out past the blue line and just that tough little bastard man but that was so nice to see just how bad they wanted it and how 
you know, they were going to be a mentally tough team and they're showing that they want to be tough and that they're not going to roll over and die or give up cheap goals or, you know, if, if it's 3 nothing right, and they give up a power play goal at the end of the game, it's 3-1, they still probably win that game, right? But yeah. preserving the shutout for Smith and just taking a little bit of pride in in saying, hey, you know what, we're going to beat the shit out of you and we're going to, for 60 minutes, we're going to we're gonna get this win. Every minute's going to be deserved. So maybe I'm making too much out of something, but seeing plays like that gets me really it's, excited. It's huge, man. It's absolutely huge because because if if your goaltender can put confidence in your team, then the team can put confidence in the goaltender. And if you've got a goaltender that's hot and he is confident as all hell, then you i mean he's gonna he's gonna do it right yeah. and so Swaggy, yeah you brought up Swaggy a good point smith man he's doing it he's being the raw raw guy that we wanted him to be right and he's also and he's also playing the puck a lot and giving me heart attacks every time he does but <laughs> ultimately he's doing a good job so i gotta give him credit um you said you wanted to mention one more thing that's it that's it okay cool um but the last thing that i wanted to mention was the power play Boy, this has not looked good. Um, overall, they are two and thirteen in their last four games. After going on a uh, uh, who's the what's the what's the Friday beers character the the heaters guy what's Jimmy the, Jimmy heaters Jimmy heaters after the team was straight up Jimmy heaters during the Ottawa series. Uh, they have what the previous Ottawa series. They're two and thirteen in their last four games, and this is. No bueno, as I referred to it. Um, a lot of, once again, cross-crease passes, just not putting it on net. And that is frustrating as all hell to see. Um, and it, it, it kind of brings me back to thinking, you know, as, as much as I do like Tyson Berry in that, in that spot, I almost think what were to happen if you did put Evan Bouchard in that spot? Because the guy's shot gets through. And if you can get that shot on net, and I, I don't understand this like this notion of, oh, we need to we need we need to get the one timer for our forwards, or we need to send it across the ice and things like that. Like, I'm I'm of the mindset of just sending it back to your defenseman who's got a big booming shot and just putting it on net and then cleaning up the rebounds, like the Oilers used to do with like the teams with like Taylor Hall and freaking Corey Potter. Oh, remember Corey Potter? <laughs> do I remember Corey Potter, the king, the prince? Man, I remember I thought we had a freaking top two defenseman there at the court thought. Oopsie. Oops, oopsie daisy. Do you know who, <laughs> speaking of Oilers, that would get me excited? Do you remember Jeff Delorier with his gold setup? Oh. Dude, I, he, there was one shootout win uh, against the Rangers where I think the Oilers won 3-2. And I don't remember who it was from the Rangers that came in, but he, he came in on the shootout and Delorier... Uh, made the made the save. He was the reverse glove goalie. He put he glove was on his right hand side, and he ripped it. And he just had his glove closed, and he was so pumped, and he was fist pumping, fist pumping. And I I was like, he's gonna carry that puck all the way to the plane. This guy's a number one goalie, and I was so excited. I was ready to buy a gold set of pads just to look like him. And then it was just a, you know when um, you know the uh, hiker in the. Price is right, like goes yeah. up, 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 and then just falls off a fucking cliff. That was Jeff, man. If I remember correctly, Jeff Delory had some sick hair. Oh yeah, he was he was hot. He was a hot guy. I'm 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 actually looking at a Delory. I can't even fucking spell Jeff Delory. There he is. 
Oh, maybe he didn't have a sick, but he had a fucking mean Adam's apple on him. <laughs> Just full of test. Test and anger. Yeah, I'm man, he had some nice pad setups. Holy shit. Yeah, man. He was a, he was a, a slot, a gear slot, as as us in the industry say. Oh, wearing 38 at one point. Ooh. Uh, After so, that trip down memory lane. Uh, let's look into uh, just how we're feeling about the upcoming games here. Um, I mentioned here Nurse Barry, while they are looking at a train, while they are looking like a train wreck at times, defensively speaking, they're moving the puck extremely well to the top six. And I don't think that there's a problem with knowing how to play with good players. Um a lot's been brought up about the whole like Darnell Nurse thing and how Darnell Nurse is playing um, with him scoring goals and things like that because a lot of people are bringing up like his Corsi numbers and all that. And with his Corsi numbers, his uh, his numbers with McDavid are like insane and his numbers without McDavid are like quite bad. And while I'm not ready to give him like $9 million a year, I do think that there is something to be said about how well he is playing. And I think it is important that we do... Uh, that we do look at that and we give Darnell Nurse credit where credit's due. So um, happy to see how he's playing. And um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how he, how he pans out for the rest of the season. Um, and really, the, the, we haven't had a deep pairing look this good moving the pucks in Sura and Viznovsky, like you mentioned. So pretty happy about that. Um, I mentioned the power play. I've been... Uh, I mentioned earlier I've been really happy with the third line. Um, did you have any last? Uh, did you have any last thoughts on the season so far and what you hope for for this week? Nah, man. I just want to talk about the games that are coming up. That's what I'm looking forward. Three, three in a row. You know, we're done looking. We're done looking in the rear view. We're only looking forward now, Mark. Speaking of the future, how about we cut to our interview with uh, Sean Patrick Ryan, the Oil Knight himself, and uh, get to learn uh, get to learn what he thinks about some of the prospects and how some of these guys are playing. Uh, so here's that interview with Sean Patrick Ryan. Welcome to our first interview on One for One. We have uh, a, a guy I'm I'm a big fan of on Twitter, um, Sean Patrick Ryan, known as the Oil Knight at the Oil Knight on Twitter. Sean, how's it going? Great. How you doing? We're doing really good. We're obviously we don't really have much to be too upset about because the Oilers went undefeated this week. So, I mean, there's not really much to complain about. Well, they're on a bit of a roll, but it seems like fans uh, have something to bitch about whether That's who hockey. should be who should be playing on defense or who we should be trading now that we're doing good. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you're just watching some of like the uh, you know some of the early reaction to the whole Darnell Nurse thing. Like we we were we were kind of talking about it earlier, but I mean, it's. Uh, you know, the whole thing with like the Corsi numbers are being brought up with Darnell Nurse. It's like, oh, well, he's not very good away from McDavid. Oh, well, I guess that's an issue when you have a player that 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 plays well with elite talent. So I'm not sure what to say at this point. <laughs> well, he's going to be playing with McDavid the majority of the time. Yeah. I think I'd be more concerned yeah. if he wasn't good with McDavid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Anyways. But uh, yeah, we want to just kind of touch upon a couple things and uh, see sort of how you were... Uh, you know, how you were feeling about a lot of the Oilers prospects in the pipeline right now. Um, I mean, first and foremost, we just kind of wanted to get to know uh, sort of how, how long you've been doing this for and sort of what made you become an Oilers fan. Uh, well, I've been doing this for, for several years now. I would say the website, I think, has been up for four years, I believe. And uh, I mean, I was an Oilers fan back in 89, I think, 89, 90. 
I used to be a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I love Marilyn Mew, and then they didn't make the playoffs there the one year, so I started rooting for the Oilers after they traded Gretzky. So I'm not even like a big Gretzky guy. I wasn't an Oilers fan back then. <laughs> um, so it, it, it was kind of interesting. But, yeah, there was a couple of London guys, Craig McTavish and Craig Simpson, played for the team, and, and they were outstanding there. And as a young kid, I was kind of impressed. You know, we got, uh, you know, if they can make it, so can I kind of thing. And so I started rooting for the Oilers, and I, I'm pretty sure my dad had a few bucks on the Oilers that year too. And let me stay up and watch the games. And I just slowly became a fan. And then from there on in, I was kind of a Mario Lemieux slash Edmonton Oilers fan. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just kind of stuck with them all these years. That's an interesting point, Sean, like, especially being an Oilers fan uh, post Gretzky, you know, when they weren't supposed to win cups or anything like that, what was it like kind of cheering for not necessarily an underdog, but a team that wasn't expected to do anything and actually seeing your team win a championship as a young impressionable guy well yeah at that age it was great and I mean as a young kid you go to school you can kind of brag you guys are both in Ontario right I'm in Saskatchewan Nolan's in oh Ontario. you're Saskatchewan yeah. okay are you always in Ontario Nolan did you grow up uh, I'm I'm ac- I'm actually a military brat, so I'm a little bit of everywhere. <laughs> so uh, oh, okay. I, I I did um, I started cheering for the Oilers and probably about 98 99 when my dad was posted to Edmonton. So we were uh, we were living in Lancaster Park, so about 10 minutes outside the city. And so that, that was kind of when um, when I, when I became a bit of a fan. And then it just sort of developed as time went on. And then obviously like the cup run really helped out, in, you know, in 06. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 I definitely don't have that, uh, post Gretzky Oilers, uh, uh, fever that you got. Oh, well for me as a young kid, everybody's a Leafs fan around here. Right. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. When you're a young kid, you know, everybody say Maple Leafs are the greatest. And I don't know why, but as a young kid, I just kind of decided that I was not going to cheer for that team because everybody else was. And, uh, yeah. So it was nice to kind of rub it in as a young kid. And then, as you mentioned, they were underdogs for all those years. And I've always kind of had a soft spot for underdogs in any sport, whether it's a team or player. So even, you know, the others were trading away all their best players. They were getting all these young up and coming guys. And, you know, you start rooting for those guys. And the one thing they always had those teams, they always seemed to work hard. Right. And, and the city and fans obviously appreciated that a lot. And I guess that's kind of why I stuck with them because it's, you know, eventually you're hoping they would, the salary cap wouldn't affect them as much, or I guess not the salary cap at the time, but the financials uh, wouldn't affect them as much. And now it's, it evened out eventually. And now we're starting to witness a starting to finally see a team loaded with talent again and not forced to unload them. So it's exciting. Knock on wood, of course. Right. <laughs> but Knock on uh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah. Like you brought up a really great point. I mean, it's, especially when it's, especially when you're working against like financial, financial restrictions more than anything. I mean, you look at what's going on in Ottawa. I mean, you know, you, you get really excited about uh, Tim Stutzla, but you think to yourself, you know, in five years, are they going to be able to keep this guy? Like, you know, is yeah. he going to be in it for like the long run? But no, I mean, I, I, I totally get what you mean. And I mean, going back to the whole, you know the whole point of being in an area where there's a bunch of Leafs fans it's I I'm 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 very similar like when it comes to like basketball and stuff like that I didn't really grow up as a Raptors fan I I grew up as a pretty big uh, Clippers fan just because the Clippers were like the worst team in basketball and I just (laughs) found that really exciting and so now that they're actually good it's it's you know one of the best things that's uh that sort of happened to me as a sports fan but um 
I mean, we'll we'll kind of fast forward a little bit and sort of look at uh, sort of look at how the decade of darkness has been going. Um, we wanted to sort of ask you a question because it it, it kind of leaves it open to a discussion more than anything because both Miles and I were really interested in talking about this. Um, obviously, like you're obviously like you're a big scouting guy. You're you're a big draft guy. Um, what's is there are there any sort of picks that that you wish through that whole sort of decade of darkness that you could like redo? Obviously, like within reason, of course. I mean. Um, we mentioned, you know, like you can't draft like Nikita Kucherov first overall instead of Nugent Hopkins, but is there anything that you were, um, that you were kind of hoping that the Oilers would go for, but they never did? Well, yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. I, I think just more recently, I think over the last few years, there were a few guys that I had higher than who we ended up taking. And I, when I do my, when I do my scouting and my, my pre-draft analysis and all that, I try not to be. I try not to be biased towards, well, first of all, London, because I'm a London guy, Londonites. <laughs> and then uh, after the draft is over, I don't change my tune and then say, you know what? Actually, the guys the Oilers took, they were all fantastic. Those were all the best picks. They should have took them and, and all that, right? So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, in saying that, if you just look back, let's say even, even just like the last three drafts, for example, like Dylan Hall, I was taken. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy about that. Um, he was according to my board. And again, I'm just an amateur doing this, but um, I like to think I have an idea what I'm doing. Uh, he was second on my board behind who the Leafs ended up taking Rodi and Amirov. Okay. So that was a pretty good, that was a pretty good pick. And I thought, I thought Holloway would, would be a good fit for the Oilers um, ultimately at the wing. And then the year before that, I just, I mean, I didn't understand the Broberg pick at the time. I kind of felt like the Oilers needed a shooter. Like a lot of people did. They needed a winger and Cole Caulfield was kind of my guy. I thought he would be the perfect complement to McDavid. So, and, and then in saying that now Broberg has exceeded my expectations a little bit, but I, I think I was, but I think I was pretty accurate though with my assessment. And I mean, he is very similar to nurse in a lot of ways. Um, and I still think Caulfield's going to be a star in the NHL. So, I mean, I would still, if I had to do a do-over, I would still take Caulfield. Um, and then we'll just go back to the one before that. 2018 and maybe this would be a good segue is uh evan bouchard when he was drafted by uh by edmonton i mean he was i had no adoption ranked higher than bouchard just overall and again this wasn't just based on the oilers this was just in general i had dobson as more of the complete two-way defenseman capable of shutting you down as well as getting points and i i and you go over my uh just my system that I have, you'll, you'll notice I kind of gravitate towards two-way players more, especially defensemen that are more solid in their zone. So for me, Dobson was ranked a little bit higher, but that being said, when the Oilers did take him, it made a ton of sense because he did fill a huge need. They did need more of an offensive guy and power play specialist. So I certainly wasn't upset with the pick. And again, Bouchard was right behind Dobson. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded answer, but to, I would say just in the last three years, I think the, I think the Oilers have done well. They were close to who I would have took. I'm not upset about any of those picks. Um, I just, I don't want to go too far back because then I'll get real upset, but for the most part, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, McDavid nurse and, uh, and dry Those were all pretty much my guys. McDavid was a, a no brainer. And then Pooley Arvey was the only one, I guess maybe I wasn't too uh, sold on, but I got. I got asked. I'm just. I'm a little curious. What about Yamo? You kind of skipped over him. What was your thoughts on that pick? So that year, one of my um, when I started my website four years ago, I the very first article I wrote 
was my favorite, why Robert Thomas is my favorite prospect in the draft. And I was all over Thomas, who ultimately ended up going two picks ahead of Yemel. But I was like adamant, banging the table. We need to trade up for Robert Thomas. Like he's got every, he checks all the boxes, everything I wanted. And Yamel at the time, to be perfectly honest, I thought he was too small. And I, I didn't think he was going to hold up. And that still remains to be seen. Um, so far, so good. He's been a nice fit for Edmonton and, and that's good. But I mean, yeah, I was, I was sold on Thomas. And then once Thomas went, I was kind of leaning towards um, he's a right shot defenseman for Colorado, Connor Timmons, who's had injuries the last couple of years, but he, yeah, he would have been my pick over Yamo at the time. But again, looking back, the Yamo pick made sense. Um, they should have took, they should have took the brink the year before and they didn't. So they kind of made up for it with the Yamo Yamo pick. I kind of feel like, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, he, he was a good selection. Again, it made a, a ton of sense and I wasn't really upset about it. I just had a couple of guys higher. I remember that pick and just running around the living room, just banging my fists. I remember being really upset about that. So it's just funny. The, to, the, to, MO, the Yamamoto pick? Yeah, I was not mm-hmm. big on that. Like I'm a, I know you're a big OHL guy, but I was a season ticket holder for the Pats for a number of years with my old man. So oh, yeah. Spokane doesn't come up a whole heck of a lot, but even in, I just watched a couple games. I just thought he was lazy and wasn't a big fan of him. And then even carrying over to the world juniors when he was on team USA and they were playing that outdoor game. I remember, you know, I'm supposed to be cheering for this guy and I'm just pissed off, mad, angry Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, don't like my don't like my draft pick. Don't like what's going on on at the Buffalo Stadium there, and just overall, just an angry guy. Yeah, well, it is what it is. I mean, he's turned yeah. out to be a good player, and yeah, as long as sure. he can, as long as he stays healthy, and that's kind of the main thing. Like he plays that rambunctious style where I always kind of cringe when he goes in for oh. a big hit or something, right? So, I mean, we'll see if his body holds up over the years, but so far, so good. Yeah, it's been, he's, he almost reminds me of, uh, he almost, like, I, I don't want to say really stylistically, because I do think they're, they are very, they are very different players, but sort of how you mentioned with, with, you know, how, how nuts he is along the boards, like, it almost reminds me of Hall. Like, remember, like, when you'd watch Hall sort of fly down the wing and you see him with his head down and you think to yourself, mm-hmm. oh, I don't like seeing that. Like, this, yeah. this is really scary. <laughs> Yeah, but but I mean, speaking of Bouchard, um, I mean, tell us about uh, sort of what that was like in London, and uh, um, so and how you're sort of impressed by uh, by his uh, development so far. Yeah, like you could tell at an early age when he started playing, even at 16, you could tell this kid's going to be he's going to be a star, right? He was a captain. They basically traded away their whole team when he was 17 in his draft year. You could tell he was going to be he was a future captain. He just, he had that poise right from the beginning and you could see the puck moving ability and obviously his boosh bomb. Um, there were a lot of good tools there. Sometimes when I do this analysis, the scouting, I, people have told me this and I kind of realize over the years and it's almost too, uh, I do it too much, almost to a fault. But when you see a guy game in and game out, like I do, and I follow, I watch London nights every single night, just like I watch the Oilers. Um, you're a little bit more aware of their faults. You're a little bit more critical, right? As opposed to somebody you just see their highlights or, you know, you just see them a, a few games here and there. So I was very aware of, of Bouchard's limitations defensively. And it really kind of just, you know, I kind of had to step back a bit and just kind of look at the, the, the grand scheme of things and think, okay, well, you know, he could struggle at the NHL level unless he kind of fixes this and this and this. So, I mean, it's, again, he's, he oozes potential. He has, he has great leadership and he's got a lot of offensive weapons. 
I was just worried about the progression, but I, I would, I will say over the last few years, he has really improved defensively. And I think it's, he's service. He's certainly at a serviceable level now in the NHL. And I think he's, because he's so smart and so poised, he's just going to get better. And he's playing the left now. <laughs> yeah. I know. I just saw your tweet and I, I don't want to make you rehash it too much, but did he ever, was he ever touching the left side uh, for the Knights? and you know, any, any insight on that? So I don't recall him playing the left side and I don't know if it was just COVID brain or what, but I'm like 99% sure he was playing right side the entire time when he had Alec Regula as his partner. And then when Adam Boakfist came there for the year, who was also another righty, he played on the left side. So I reached out to the, uh, the London Knights uh, play-by-play guy. And then he reached out to the, the coaches and asked them, Hey, did, did Bouchard ever play on the left side? And they said, yeah, he did play a bit depending on who his partner was. Um, but the, uh, the play-by-play guy, he didn't recall that. And I didn't recall that, but if the coaches say it, then I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure it happened. I just, yeah, neither one of us can really recall it much. Although on the power play, they kind of switched it up a bit. So I don't know if they were getting confused with that or not, but five on five, it's safe to say he did play the majority of time on the right. No, for sure. And that's a really good point too, right? Like we're not, we're talking about a guy who's got very limited experience in the NHL and we're already describing him as serviceable. Like he's been playing with good players his entire life at an elite level of hockey. There, it's not insane to think that he can slide over to the left with a good partner, um, get some chemistry, and and be successful in that role. So, as an Oilers fan, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do there with the offensive options being, you know, on his off wing and seeing the Bush bomb get teed up and hit the net right. So, I, I don't know, Nolan, what do you think? Are you excited? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think what he has to offer offensively on his off wing could actually be pretty exciting because it 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 keeps that it keeps that up op- it keeps that option open for the uh, one timer, which I really like to see. Um, now, how he might play on his off wing defensively might be a little bit tough. I feel like that might be a you know he's using his backhand a whole lot. Um, but I was kind of mentioning some miles as long, as long as he had, doesn't have an Adam Larson level backhand, I think we should be okay. So, well, yeah. And, and that's the thing too, right? Like if you think about the four right shot defensemen, just think, you know, how are they going to handle it in, in the D zone? Like Adam Larson is an off the glass or off the boards defenseman. That's his forte. Right. So if, if you take him from the right side, you put him on the left side, he's going to try and go off the glass and he's just going to take a delay of game penalty every time. Right. Whereas Bush rarely uses the boards. He moves the puck so well, he doesn't need the boards there as an outlet. So once he goes back to the retrieval and gets it, he's poised and, and capable enough to move it up the middle of the ice. So being a right shot on that left side shouldn't be an issue. Again, I just, we haven't really seen him do it a lot. So until he does, and again, he's a rookie adjusting still to the NHL. It's, I mean, it's still, it's still going to be a question mark. So Sean, you've mentioned, you know, night in and night out, you're an, you're a Knights and oil guy. Uh, what's mm-hmm. it been like for you without the OHL? And it doesn't seem like there's any return to play plan going on there. Uh, how are you coping with things without being able to scratch the junior hockey bug? <laughs> so it drives me absolutely crazy. And uh, I mean, I absolutely love the OHL as much as I love the the NHL. Uh, but a couple things. So first of all, I listened to your last episode, you guys were, you say your, your moods depend on the outcome of the games, <laughs> almost like, and only the weather can fix it sometimes. Well, um, for me, it, it's, it's kind of nice over the years. I've, I've always kind of had that um, fallback option where if the Oilers suck, 
and I'm pissed off, well, then I can just turn on the Knights and just go back because it's such a winning organization and so much talent there. I always had that fallback option or that, uh, that release, right? I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'm just, I don't even want to talk about the others right now. Let's just watch the Knights and just put on the OHL. And, uh, and that was really nice. And, and now I don't have that. So uh, although I should mention they are, they do have a plan to come back. Oh, okay. Yeah, they do. Uh, they're going to do it like a 24 game schedule. The government still needs to approve it, but they're going to start at the beginning of April and just do like a 24 game season, which for the draft eligibles, at least they get, you know, some quality ice time for scouts and it doesn't really hurt, hurt their draft stock too much. So great, yeah, great. so that's exciting. Yeah, that was my next question because the the WHL is doing hub cities, so we get one in Regina. Uh, I think that there's one in Red Deer. They were showing some pictures on the internet of guys having beds set up in club suites and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you're kind of touching on it, but like, what do you think it means uh, to have some CF CHL competition coming back, and uh, how important that's going to be for you know draft uh, for the draft and getting you know film on these guys. Well, it is. It's huge, right? In, in the OHL, they're going to do the same thing. They're going with four hub cities. Uh, I've been told that London's likely going to be one of them. Uh, but it's, I mean, a lot of these kids, these 17-year-old kids, this is their career. This is their future, right? And if they don't get at least some games in, like I know a lot of them went overseas and to kind of scratch that OHL itch, I was following the Slovakian league with Ty Tulio and Oilers' fifth-round pick and a bunch of other OHLers who went over there at least to get some games in, right? And get in condition and get in shape. Um, but I mean, you can't really get a lot of good tape on that because they're not great leagues. Like a lot of these guys, Brant Clark, who might go first overall, he was also playing in that league. His team wasn't very good, and, you know? So it's really tough. So for them to come back in their own environment again, their own league, and at least, um, at least get, uh, get some good tape on there so scouts can just get a better feel for them because it's really going to hurt them compared to, you know, the Americans and and some of these other leagues that have already been playing forever. Um, In the grand scheme of things, it could cost these kids millions of dollars. Right. So it's, it's, it's huge. So I'm glad that they're going to get back going here and, and same thing with the WHL, right. They're in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's exciting. Anyways. Yeah. Connor Bedard, Mr. Exceptional himself was, uh, training over in Sweden and I know I'm very excited to to get I wish I could see it in person but I'll take uh I'll take highlights before nothing right so I'm really really stoked to see him skate out for the Pats and and make some stuff happen I guess the yeah, new yeah. uh I guess the new uh, talk of the OHL now is going to be uh can Shane Wright hit 100 points in 24 games <laughs> so. yeah yeah no kidding why well, um, yeah, he's, he's a stud he oh, I, I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't put anything past him yeah, I'm 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 really excited to see what he uh especially in his especially in the uh, draft year and see what he can do in his draft year. I think he's going to be he's going to be insane. Um so speaking of that, I wanted to sort of move on to some prospects here because obviously that's your thing. Um mm-hmm. yeah, um and I wanted to sort of touch upon just sort of who some of your or who some of the guys that you're most excited about and why and uh, tell us why Dylan Holloway is going to be a 50 goal scorer and uh, a perennial heart trophy candidate. Okay, well let's start with the second one first. <laughs> um, so Dylan Holloway, I know a lot of people were down on him when the Oilers took him, and I mean for me again, I, th- I thought he would be a good fit as far as a projection. Like I don't, he plays center now for Wisconsin. And he's more of a playmaker than a shooter or a scorer, I feel. And 
you know, when, when he gets to the NHL, he's not, he's likely not going to be a center. I mean, usually young centers they're they usually start out on the wing anyways, but I think for him specifically in being in the Edmonton situation, I think you just look at his skill set, and I think he's got the, the complementary skill set that's going to work well with a McDavid or a dry He can just kind of play that straight ahead power forward um, game and just, you know, bang away, crash the net. And he's going to get a lot of goals that way. He's going to have a lot of success. He's a reliable 200 foot player. So he's not going to hurt you defensively. I think it's, it's a real good opportunity. And if you just bias aside, you just look at fits. Um, Edmonton was probably the best fit for him. I think just because of those two dominant centers, so I kind of see, um, I mean, there's a range of styles and players you could compare him to. I think his ceiling is probably, I mean, he could be a Blake Wheeler type. He really has a lot of the same traits. Uh, but, you know, there's other people that feel like he's just going to be a bottom six player. Um, he just doesn't have enough puck skills yet. So, and right now it's hard to tell, right? Like you can, the funny thing about scouting is like, it's so subjective and you can, you can see somebody's skills uh, in their draft year, and you could be 100% accurate on everything in your analysis. But what you can't account for is the development, right? So how bad do these kids want it after they get drafted, and how much more do they improve? So Holloway has the potential to be that top six power forward guy, but if he doesn't develop, and you know he may end up being a bottom six guy. But regardless, I think he's going to be an NHLer for sure. I can't promise 50 goals, but <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's going he's going to be a, an NHLer, no doubt. Yeah, and I'm I, I was kind of I was kind of talking about that in our very in, in our very first episode that we did because I kind of uh, like when I watch him play, I think kind of like you mentioned, he has those complementary skills to play with a guy like a McDavid because he's got the wheels for it and he has the he has the two way ability where I think you know if there's maybe any sort of issues that Connor might have defensively that Dylan Holloway might be able to clean those up you know, himself. Um, and then, and like, and in addition to that, you look at a guy like Taylor Hall, I mean, Taylor Hall, while a great player didn't really work with Connor McDavid because he wanted the puck on the stick. Right. So mm-hmm. if you have a guy like Dylan Holloway, where, you know, he just wants to rush into the offensive zone and then, you know, park himself in front of the net, then that works. I mean, cleaning up rebounds, there is a, um, you know, there's a certain sense of, there's a there's a certain sense of ability to it. I think people make it to be, um, you know, a whole lot less important than it actually is. But I mean, you know, you can see on the power play right now, even watching a guy like Alex Chase on try and clean up a rebound is frustrating to watch at times. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think a guy like Dylan Hallway can definitely do that. Yeah, and he he almost seems like he almost seems like a, a faster, stronger version of Nuge. Like, you know, yeah. he can dig up and almost a more talented version of Cassian. Like you almost have to combine Nuge and Cassian and he's kind of that he's going to be able to, I mean, I love the fact he finishes his checks and, you know, he battles along the boards and all that. So he's going to dig out a lot of pucks for McDavid. And I mean, he is a driver for his team currently, but a lot of that has to do with the fact he's, he's playing center and his, uh, his wingers aren't that great, but yeah, once he gets Edmonton, I as long as he adjusts his game, he adapts a bit. I'm sure he can be play that Cassian role just with a lot more talent. So it's, I mean, it's exciting. Obviously the others haven't had many, uh, many talented wingers here since Hall left really. It's still waiting on Yamamoto and Pulley Arby to really break out, but yeah, Holloway's got a lot of potential there. Um, Who is your, I guess, um, sort of your like low key guy, like who you're, who you're really excited about. Um, 
Well, there's a there's a couple. So I I don't know how long you guys have been following me for, but I've I've been a big fan of Kirill Maximov since he was drafted. Yeah, I, uh, I I've, I've I've known that one. <laughs> I've been pretty big on Kirill Maximov too. Yeah. So I mean, he was taken the fifth round in 2017, and uh, I felt like he didn't get a lot of opportunity in Bakersfield last year, and then so he went over to the KHL this year, and he was playing basically basically fourth line minutes there. Didn't get a lot of opportunity. And they kind of sent him down to the uh, the league below them, the VHL. And then he he was featured in a, a prominent role, and he's been excelling. But he's kind of the uh, he's the under radar under the radar guy for me. He had more points than Lavois did in junior. He just absolutely exploded after his draft year. He's got an NHL shot. He's got all the um, he's got great offensive instincts. He's got all the things you look for. Um, to be a complimentary winger like Holloway, same idea. He battles hard. He's, he's smart defensively. Um, but if he, if he doesn't make it as a top six player in the NHL, he has all the traits to be a successful bottom six NHL or two. Like he's great on the penalty kill. Like I said, he's a good 200 foot player. He works hard and his skating has really improved from his draft year. So I feel like he's going to have an impact at some point here in the NHL. And, and for me, like, and again, this is, because it's OHL, I, I watched him pretty much every night since he was drafted. I mean, he he's the kind of kid that just, he plays better with more talent around him. Like it's, you know, when he played with Tomasino and Akil Thomas, who was drafted in the second round there, he, you know, he just excelled. He got even better and better. And then if, if in Bakersfield, you put him on the third or fourth line and tell him to just go out and grind and, and, and penalty kill, well, he can do that too. He can, he can fill a variety of roles. So I think that's that's going to earn him a spot here eventually. I hope he gets a, a, a legit shot next year, but we might be waiting at least another year or so on him. Um, wh- what did you think of of him? Do you have any? Yeah, I don't. I, so I haven't. I haven't. I haven't done. I, don't know, I shouldn't say. Uh, I shouldn't say any sort of scouting because I I, I don't really have the. Uh, I don't. I don't have like the big scouting for the YouTube, but yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I've I've definitely liked what I've seen in some of like his OHL highlights and stuff like that. Um, I mean, yeah, like you're absolutely right. He's got a hell of a shot on him too, which I've. I think that's the most important thing that this pipeline needs is goal scores because there's not very many of them. Right. So, I mean, even when you look at a guy like, you know, Raphael Lavoie and then Carter Savoy too, I mean, those guys are looking like true NHL goal scores and even a guy like uh, uh, Tyler Tulio as well. So um, yeah. I'm excited about him too, though, but I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a slow burn prospect as long as, uh, as long as at the end of the day, if they can pan out then they can pan out. I just don't want to see the, I just don't want to see the Oilers give up on these guys too early. Right. And, and you're, you're right about the shooters too. Like that's the one thing the others are missing. They don't even have a real natural goal scorer, like a, or a pure shooter, yeah. right? A high volume shooter. And I really think they're missing that. And, and like you said, if you go through there, you'll see, I actually put out a top five, uh, top five shooters or snipers of the Oilers in, in the, in the pipeline and, and Carter Savoy, Tyler Tulio, uh, Lavois, Maximoff, we're all in there. And then Matej Blumel is another guy that's been lighting up the Czech league. Um, the Oilers have a bunch of these guys coming and they're all exciting. They can all shoot the puck. Um, and Tulio is the other guy that I'm really excited about. Cause he's, he kind of plays a, a Brendan Gallagher type game. I really feel like he's going to translate well to the NHL. He just needs to improve his skating a little bit more. And I'm sure he will. Cause he's smart and he works hard. And I think he's going to be another steal. So those are two fifth round picks. I've actually really, really jacked about. 
Well, you're starting to stir the Oilers Kool-Aid and I'm and I'm I'm currently starting to chug it back. So, I mean, you're getting me pretty excited. Yeah. Um, so, I, actually, I, I wanted to I wanted to ask you this, too. I mean, because um, I'm always very fascinated by guys that have done sort of that, that have done any sort of scouting, whether or not it's NHL, NFL or anything like that. Um, mm. Who's like who's who's your guy that you're most proud of hitting on? Uh, and I, and I, and I don't mean in a dating way. I don't, I don't mean you're hitting on them you know, on Tinder. Um, yeah. you know, who's your, who's your guy that you're just most excited about that you actually got right. Well, I guess it depends on how you feel about Robert Thomas right now, but again, he was, he's probably my favorite prospect since I really started doing this on social media anyways. Um, I mean, I can go back and give you other names, but there's no proof of that. So you just think I'm bullshitting anyways, but <laughs> the, um, I mean, in, was it 20, was it 2017? When was Pooley RV drafted? 2017? 16. The 16 draft. Was it 16? Oh yeah. Yemo, Yemo 17. Yeah. 16 yeah. Pooley RV. Uh, I was on LT side and I was just pumping everywhere. I was telling everybody we should take Kachuk first round and we should take Debrinkat second round. Like that was the one, two punch. Um, again, a little bit of OHL bias, but I just kind of felt like Kachuk was a huge need. And if we signed, if we drafted him, we might not even had to sign Lucic to begin with. And Debrinkat was the Everly replacement, the shooter score. Um, I feel like I was pretty bang on on that one too. So, um, I mean, it's easy to play. The hindsight game is is twenty twenty, right? It's easy to say that. You know, I would have picked this guy. I would have put picked that guy. But I think those are. If you just look back, I think those are a couple of guys I feel pretty strong about. Thomas and then Debrinkat and Kachuk. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I've uh I, I I just remember that 16 draft because there was that talk of um of Alex uh Debrincat falling so much because it was always like, oh well he, oh well he played with McDavid, he played with McDavid. And then it was also like the size thing too. I mean everyone was everyone was uh you know, you know, crying about his size and it was literally, you know, a year or two after Johnny Gaudreau was lighting up the league. So it was it was very surprising that people were not in on Alex Debrinkat, but obviously Chicago just had to get him because why not Chicago, right? <laughs> I got one more for you, Sean. You brought up uh, Robert Thomas and then Kachuk, um, a few other guys in the O. Um, who are some, outside of the Oilers? Who are some of your favorite guys to watch in the NHL? Uh, guys you're really excited about uh, and that you enjoy watching. Like for me, I, I'm a big Mark Stone guy. Um, mm -hmm. I like Robert Thomas as well. Um, pasta just give you an idea where I'm kind of going with the question. Who would be some of your, your top three? Well, I'm not going to lie. I, I root for a lot of the Knights, ex London Knights, and there's so many in the NHL. So it's, it's yeah, hard not a, to. They're a factory. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's when you go to the games every night or watch them every night, you kind of start rooting for guys. And I've always been a big Josh Anderson fan. It's a, it's great to see him having the success he is in Montreal right now. And that was my last question. Uh, Nolan, did you have anything else for Sean? Uh, no, I mean, I just, I just wanted to just say thank you once again for coming on, Sean. I mean, I really appreciate it. I really hope we can get you back and we can maybe, uh, we can maybe, you know, hopefully catch up on some of our favorite players and sort of how a lot of these guys are panning out because it's a really exciting time. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm really fired up about a lot of these prospects and, you know, really excited to see uh to see if they eventually make it and hopefully they do because uh i can't uh i can't take another decade of uh you know of guys that are non-first round picks not panning out well the days of the cupboard is bare i think are over you can see there's lots of talent coming <laughs> the yeah, cupboard so. is bare i like that
Yeah, like I, you know, like to be completely honest, like I, I completely forget about a guy like Raphael Lavoie at times, like, and then I'll see he scores like four goals and I'm like, oh, wow, this is, he's playing really well. Yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, and Ryan McLeod's another guy that hopefully he can pick up his offensive uh, output a bit. And yeah, there's lots of guys in the pipe. So we just, uh, the team's going good now at the NHL level. You've got guys in the in the farm system, and you can see in the NHL level. The, I mean, Caleb Jones is the ninth defenseman on the roster right now, so you know you're you're deep when he's your ninth guy. So yeah, they just got to keep keep uh, drafting well and keep developing, and yeah, it should pay off in, in the long run. Perfect. Well, thank you once again. Thank you so much, Sean. We really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, hopefully we can get you on again, and uh, uh, and we can uh, and, and, and and we can hopefully catch up on some of these guys, but. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Sounds Sean. good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Take care, man. Thanks a lot, Sean. Cheers. Thanks again to Sean Patrick Ryan. We really appreciate the interview and really appreciate all the insight he had to offer. Hopefully we can uh hopefully we can get him back on. Heck of a guy. Heck of a guy. Check him out on Twitter. Make sure you plug his website too if you're looking for all things Oilers prospects. He's got lots of resources on his website. I will put all the information in the description of this podcast episode. Um I mean, we really touched upon what we wanted to touch upon. There is some NHL stuff going on, but because we're kind of running out of time here, we'll leave that for maybe next episode and hopefully maybe even get a mailbag into again. So I'm sure people will want to hear some more questions being answered. But uh, upcoming games this week, uh, it's a it's a big one. We've got a couple of pretty good teams to play. So um, start off with February 15th and 17th. We've got the Winnipeg Jets. And I believe we're back at home, which is good. Thank God. Um, so we get to hear, give me a hell, give me a yeah. Hell yeah. Stand up right now. And then followed by the 16th and the 17th, we've got the Battle of Alberta again. Um, huge, huge, huge games with massive playoff implications. So, Yeah, it's weird to say playoff implications when you're this early into the season, but like actually because if you're looking at the way things are going is Montreal for real nobody is you know willing to say yes or no on that right now um but at the end of the day it's probably going to be a dogfight between the Jets Flames uh Habs and Oilers to to make that up as long as the Leafs keep doing what they're doing um so yeah playoff implications for sure if you don't at least split both of these um these are going to be a point this is going to be a mark on the calendar uh, come playoff time that you're looking back at as, as missed opportunities. So you can't under underplay the importance of these games. Absolutely. And especially with the flames games, like there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit talking. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of emotion that goes into it. So if they, they have to pull off at least one of those wins and I, like, ideally speaking, if you can go three and one this week, that's fucking huge massive that's a massive gap because if you can establish yourself as the because especially with the Habs playing as not great as they are if you can establish yourself as the second best team in the division it's it's go time from there and you just ride that out yeah and these are and these are prove it games too like you saying second best team in the division you already you already got me going whoa 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 like fucking relax a little bit knock on some wood but really if you can take the jets both of those games and at least one against the flames you're having legitimate discussion about being you know the second best team in the canadian division and really if you look at it head to head against what they've done against the leafs there's a case to be made that you know potentially they're 
one of the stronger teams in that division. So, yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah, and also Pierre-Luc Dubois is also out, and they don't know for how long. So that just, I think that just got announced like a, about an hour ago or so. Capitalize, capitalize, capitalize. Huge, 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 right. huge, huge. So if you, can, uh, if you can somehow pull that off, then, I mean, you could be looking at a really, really, really damn good stretch from here on out. But we're excited. I'm looking forward to it. How do you think they're going to do, Nolan? What oh, are you calling it? I don't even want to do that because last time they – they disappointed us so all right we won't do it then yeah fuck you sorry for trying to have fun three and one let's do it (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say three and one as well yeah i'm gonna say i'm gonna say win one against the jets win both against the flames I was gonna say the same thing. Yeah. Wow. I think uh, time looking looking hot. I think on we're gonna get. I think uh, to be honest, I think we're gonna get a couple of kind of maybe stinky games from the two stars, and then they are gonna go full blown supernova no, against the Flames. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm picking up exactly what you're laying down because they've been like um, they're like Snorlax in the Pokemon series <laughs> these past couple games, being a little quiet, being a little tight tight. And, you know, they're going to do a little stretch. They're going to be like, oh, hey, Connor. Uh, hey, Connor, do you maybe want to go score some goals? Is that supposed to be Leon? No, it's better. You made him sound French, so give me a break. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, and you, then, made him, you made him sound Russian. Uh, German and Russian, if you're looking at the history of, of Anglo-Saxon, <laughs> uh, English, and, and, and whatnot, uh, share some similarities, Nolan. So. As, I see, as I start to see the red dot come through your window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> But yeah, no, man, I, I, I actually... Connor, you want to go score a goal? You want to drink, <laughs> drink beer and score a goal? And then they're going to score a goal. I actually, I actually do think that Connor and Leon are, like, sitting beside each other, and they're like, all right, so we're going to... Like, these guys have to win it for us tonight. Like, we, we, we cannot score tonight. So I'm just going to play it like a seven tonight, and we'll see how it goes, and, you know, I'll have a couple breakaways, but I'm just going to purposely miss the net, and then... We'll just see if the we'll we'll just see if the bottom six um, you know is able to clean it up. <laughs> and then Dave Tippett pulls his hair out in the locker. <laughs> what the fuck are Dave you doing? <laughs> Dave Tippett just pulls down his mask even more than it actually is. Taylor was so mad about Dave Tippett pulling his mask down to scream at the ref. That's a, what that's, the fuck is going on? Pulling your mask down to talk to someone, uh, NHL coach, yes or no, is just massive boomer energy. <laughs> i see it all the time at work you see it at the grocery store like anybody that's over the age of 60 is just what did you say there and they pull their mask down and they look at you and it's like put your they fucking, fucking mask spit on brother your, they spit in your face while they're doing it to you what did you say there well on that note on a note of us making fun of boomers uh that should wrap it up for this episode of the one for one podcast uh episode six yeah thanks to everybody who's been taking part in pick a palooza sorry that some of the uh, updates are coming a little bit later on the weekends get busy with some stuff so just know that we are always tracking and screenshotting stuff to make sure that we're not uh you know shorten anybody on any wins so keep it up the race for the hoodies on if anybody can catch the pick factory at number one i'd like to see it so uh with that thanks again for tuning in to episode six and as always go oilers go go oilers go